Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Apple Auto Care Centers on the web at milwcar.com. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, Tony DeZeno from NBCSports.com. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hey, Z-Man. Good to be on and uh, good seeing a lot of fellow Wisconsinites last week, although not at all hours, unfortunately. Well, I, I do have to apologize to you on air because we were doing a little media uh, dog and pony show uh, that they do in the North Plaza and we saw, we it was funny, we were running around and I saw you and then I had a phone call and it was so important. I don't, I don't even remember who it was, but I do remember <laughs> that I had to take the phone call and I blew you off. So I, I, on I, mean, I apologize to, 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 to be fair. When Fernando Alonso calls, you got to take it. So. <laughs> hey, Tony, do you feel like you're getting big timed by uh Zaki here? He sits in the penthouse suites, you know, he's too good for, uh, for the media section. And then he blows you off when, when the celebrities are calling them, are you getting big timed by the Z Man? You know, the Z Man's last name might be last in the dictionary, but it's first in the penthouse, man. <laughs> one, so, um, you know, that's why I have the Z as the capital. They just try to be on on the same level. Well, we we let off the show with the the Japanese television, and um, uh, Jeff Olson did a pretty cool article about the Japanese media contingent, and for for many years. Dating back to the 90s, I remember these guys follow. There's always been, as long as there's been a Japanese driver, as far as I know, pretty much since 92, there has been one. There might have been a year or two in which there wasn't one, but let's see. We got Hiro Mashusta. We got uh, uh, Takagi, Takagi, Matsura, Matsura, Muto. Yeah. There's been a number of them, but there there really hasn't been anyone quite on on Taku's level for a while. And and it, the irony of Jeff Olson writing that article, Jo is a good dude, and uh, you know I remember him very famously being, I think, aggrieved at a St. Pete race a number of years back where Graham Rahal won it, and I think he was annoyed by cheering in the press box. So, but in this case, it was I, I really I agree with you. I really like that article because they were they were pumped. I mean, they were fired up, and it was it's just as as uh, as exciting to watch them as it was to watch the finish. It was. And and I thought he brought a good point where he kind of says, you know, you see them, you know, with, you know, with, with the jet lag and that. And there was a lot of times I've seen these guys pull into Indianapolis and they are just beat. (laughs) And you could tell, you know, these guys are just beat to heck. And I'd see this at Milwaukee too, when they fly in and I felt so bad for these guys because I mean, it's pretty. That is pretty much a total opposite night, night and day thing. Where you know, so, you know, people may bitch and moan about being from New York going to L.A. or vice versa. There's a big difference going from uh, Japan to Indianapolis. That is true, true jet lag. And these guys were. I mean, they were hurting. 
Now, here's the thing, right? So we let off with the call at the top of the show, and they're this excited at, you know, 3, 4, 5 in the morning, whatever it is in Japan. Could you imagine how excited they would be if it was up at normal hours? You know, something? <laughs> I mean, they're that pumped up the top in the middle of the night, and I'm thinking it's just – I think there's there's a really cool cultural connection, and I think there's there's something to be said for, for what Sato's win means for Honda – Mm-hmm. Uh, given all their reliability issues throughout the month, that it's a guy that has been with them for 15 plus years, has been with the Honda of Japan component, has been with, you know, the the factory team in F1, had a separate team that he got to drive for, Super Aguri, super best friends. I mean, Fernando Alonso must be having, you know, Canadian GP nightmare flashbacks because they're Sato trolling him again, just like he did it at Montreal when he passed him when he was in the McLaren. So. Mm-hmm. And and what Sato's you know been over here, you know he's he's been really aligned with Honda too. I think for from a manufacturer standpoint, I don't think there's there's a driver there more, you know, aligned with than than what uh, what Taku is. Sure, sure. And, and you know with and that, I mean, them and Elio. I mean, all credit though to Elio. I mean that oh. he drove. I mean those two guys were at ten tens. I mean. They were pushing it as hard as they could go, and you could really – I mean, it's, sometimes it's harder to tell in an IndyCar t- to other forms of racing, but for for those that have been there at the Speedway and, and seen some pretty good racing, that's, that's as good as it gets. And it was tense, too, because was, yeah. you just have the, the setup of, okay, Taku is a guy that is so fast but unfortunately has had a reputation of not being able to finish the job right mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm i'm going last lap and it's like you know some people are next to me like he's got this he's got this i'm like make it through turn four we've been here before <laughs> in this spot and elio's you know putting pressure on him and the thing of it was i thought this is one of elio's best ever drives in his whole career oh, I mean, sure. not just at indy but you know he had the damage i mean he had the fact he had scott dixon's car almost flying over the top of him at one point loses the rear wing end fence. He's basically running a car at qualifying trim, super low downforce the whole race, and yet is able to hang on to it despite not having the grip in the corners with a car that has a known power deficit. You know, it's not much, but it's a it's efficient enough gap to where, you know, he was able to hang tough even though Taku had what was a clearly superior car. It was it was a fantastic effort uh, from Elio. And, it, you know, go figure, right? I mean, the guy is still this good, and I, I don't think people talk about how good he still is and, and how long he's been this good, too. It, it, it's just hard to appreciate that because, you know, finishing second, he's so frustrated that it's another opportunity that, that's gone away from him to, to get that fourth. And then the scouting report on Dale Coyne Racing, uh, good on street courses and some road racing, but... Nah, they're not really good on the super speedways. We can tear that. We can tear that up right now. Four words or five: Craig Hampson and Olivier Bosson, the two engineers that they brought on this year, because that's the guys that made T Bell's car a rocket ship last year at Andretti and Sebastian Bourdais. What a shame! Um, you know, would have been probably could have been on the pole, certainly on the front row, uh, and then he gets hurt, and James Davison gets plucked out of you know a pack of angry hungry drivers that want to be in the paddock and want to be in the car um goes 33rd to first and then my vote uh for rookie of the year mine not everyone's unfortunately ed jones what a what a performance by him i mean guy just flies under the radar all month it was 
you know, it's interesting. I, I went into the month and saying, oh, Alonzo is a big story, but, you know, hey, look, there's these three other Mons Road Indy grads that are also rookies, and, mm-hmm. and Ed just lived up to it the whole month. Uh, you know, in his co- group, he had Michael Cannon as an engineer. He was consistent. He wasn't outside really the top seven or eight in practice all month. He was unlucky to qualify where he did, and he raced with guys that are so much more experienced uh beyond his years. I mean, Elio paid him a tribute in the post-race press conference. So it was what Dale Coin Racing did this month is one of the most, it's one of the most roller coaster months a team could ever have. You lose your team leader. You, you have a huge financial setback on top of a previous financial setback at Phoenix. And to, to rally the way they did, I thought was, you know, that's the spirit of Indy where you've got a team that's a little smaller but overachieves, outkicks its coverage, and gets a result. So, and the great thing about Ed was he was he was mad, like he's like I, I right. the car was broken and he's, he wanted to be higher, and you know, that kind of fighting spirit's really cool to see. And and the other one who was kind of disappointed, but you know, if you had him in a pool, you were impressed, such, especially if you paid out like the first five spots. Is is you know Max Chilton? This mm-hmm. is a guy who's who struggled. And there's a lot of people scratching their heads. What is this guy doing? You know, when is the when it's you know when's the light going to click on? And I, I think we know one of the reasons why, don't we? Well, I'm not entirely sure what, what you. Well, mean with Dario on that, yeah. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, the, the transfer of the magic hair, right? Um, <laughs> what one other one other change that's been interesting for Max, and and he basically strategized his way to the front a little bit before halfway, got to got to the lead, stayed out front. But then they made a rather peculiar call at the time where they pitted on one of the yellows with about 75 laps to go. And it's like, well, you can't get home in two stops from there. So they still would have needed a, a third stop. But they, they got lucky a little bit later when uh, Kimball's engine went out. Uh, that put everyone back on the same strategy. But Max raced really, really well. Um was good at defense. I mean, there were a couple times where Takuma or Elia would come after him, and he held him off through turn one. He just lost grip as the, the last stage went on. It's interesting. I talked to him on media day, and I said, hey, you know, 15th last year is, is like fifth a reasonable goal. Can you win it? He's just like, yeah, mate, there's no podiums here. I, I had Charlie, you know, finish third a couple of years ago, and he won one interview and then got to go back to the, the, the lounge and drink orange juice, you know. So he was just basically saying that, that, that you get forgotten otherwise. But he had a, a dynamic month. He had a great run in the GP, was really solid throughout the month. And, and you know, few, if anyone, would have had him as Ganassi's top finishing driver, and, and he was that. Okay, I want to re- revisit this rookie of the year discussion and debate. Um, I I'm not totally saying one one vote is is right and one vote is wrong. However, I I do want to bring a little bit of history into it, only because I just did an article on this guy about a month or two ago, and that's Jose Lee Garza. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1981, Jose Lee Garza kind of came to came to the Indianapolis new team, a uh, couple of uh, uh, one-year-old Penske PC9Bs, and, and with him and Jeff Brabham, just really, really took to the speedway and and was was spectacular. Uh, in in a day when it was really, really tough for rookies to kind of claw to the top of the the crab pail, and, and for Jose led a few laps and he was running in top five most of the day, and then had an issue where he he hit the wall, I think, in uh, in turn three. The crowd really loved him and everything. Jeff Brabham finished, I think, fourth or fifth in that race. Uh, 
probably should have won Rookie of the Year, but it was actually Ozaley Garza who got to Rookie of the Year. I think that's kind of where you're seeing that that's way the voting went this year because, you know, they, they, they don't ought to, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this, Tony, it doesn't go to the highest finishing rookie. It's kind of the overall for the whole month of May, which isn't really a month of May anymore, but... Uh, what's your what's your opinion on that? Well, that great article you? on that, Tony. By the way, uh, where you broke down all the different ways that uh, that the voting happens, and and you put your vote out there and said you voted for Jones, which which takes some stones to do. So kudos to you. Well, I guess we should probably direct the listeners to that article on NBCSports.com. Yeah, right. So it's a piece called "Inside the Indy 500 Rookie Voting Process." Um, has my uh, last name ahead of it. Uh, the beauty of the website search function is that's the easiest way to do it. Or just go to nbcsports.com slash motors. That aside, uh, yeah, so that breaks down kind of the the protocol for, for what the voting process was. It was a little confusing this year because some media members either thought they would have got a ballot and they didn't, or they got it late, or there was a compressed timeline. So the whole process seemed a little a little confusing at the outset. But in layman's terms, there was four criteria. You're supposed to equally, you know, distribute percentages for for what deserves them. And here's here's the thing, right? So there's accessibility, there's ability, and and really, you know, no one's doubting Fernando Alonso's ability. The dude's one of the greatest drivers currently competing in in racing, and you know, than that ever has. But Ed Jones, who is not as well-known or not as well-heralded, held his own with the guy that has this level of ability the whole month. So there's, you know, there's kind of a wash. Accessibility is a different thing. You know, Alonzo was, was everywhere throughout the month, and Jones would have been. You know, it's like it's not that he wasn't available. It's just people weren't willing to seek him out. That, that shouldn't be held against him if you don't pay attention or, or find out what the guy is. And then in the on-track standpoint – Keep in mind, Alonzo had the extra test day where he not only had to do the rookie orientation program, but he also got to do race procedure stuff like running under yellow, doing pit in and outs, which the other rookies didn't get the chance to do. So there's almost sort of a built-in there that I don't want to call it an unfair advantage, but since all rookies need to have an oval test day beforehand, uh, that was something Fernando had at that particular moment. So uh, I, resources are not directly factored into it, but the Andretti team is, you know, arguably the best at Indy the last few years. And the coin team, as we discussed earlier, is, you know, small budget has a way of making more out of nothing. But but I did that. And uh, so, you know, in an ideal world, there's co-rookies of the year. I thought Ed deserved at least that. But when it came down to a straight fight, um, I voted for, for Ed. I, I was fully impressed with everything fernando did this month and i think he he was really gracious throughout the process but uh, i was worried he'd overshadow the rest of the field and i I think he did to some extent very good i you know i and and i yeah i that's a good i i kind of like that i mean i i think yeah the cold war rookies of the year would have been i mean we we did in 1978 with rick mears and larry rice but and, there's, there's and, been four or five examples yeah. of that before, so it, it has happened. It's not something that should happen frequently. But right. We've now had, in the last four years, we've now had the guest outsider, Kurt Busch, and now Fernando Alonso win Rookie of the Year. And Kurt's never driven an IndyCar race since. And Fernando, we don't know if he's going to drive in an IndyCar race again after this. He says he's going to come back, but, I mean, there's so much that has to happen for that to happen. I mean, his F1 
situation has to get worked out. And if he's in a competitive car, he's not going to miss Monaco again. Right. You know, we, we all have these these questions. And for IndyCar now, it's like, well, we can't even sell that our Indy, you know, Rookie of the Year is also competing alongside our Indy 500 champion because he's not the Indy Rookie of the Year. So, I don't know. That's my argument. I'm sticking to it. And, uh, yeah, he, that's, uh, that's the beauty of opinion, though, is we all have him. He would have won Rookie of the Year if his name would have been Fast Eddie. See, and that was that was the thing that, and I credit to the ABC guys on this. They had this um, really cool driver intros that they didn't sync up with the traditional one that the Speedway does on the PA. Mm-hmm. So they actually had these these little vignettes, and Dennis Leary actually called him Fast Eddie Jones, and that was kind of cool. I thought because it's like, oh, you're giving a fractional a modicum of personality to a guy who right. got a really dry, sardonic sense of humor and wears a you know adult club hat as part of his sponsors basically to troll everything <laughs> with this uh 11 in miami which you know it's it's it if you if you do a little bit of research you'll find out more information on that front this is a family show though so um but yeah good good stuff we're talking with tony Dezino on the great midwest bank hotline we're gonna take a quick break here and then when we come back we'll talk more indycar racing with tony Dezino from nbc sports you're listening to the final inspection show on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Make sure to get out there this weekend. Beautiful weather, beautiful cars. Go out there and see some wonderful drag racing action and have some great food. I'd also like to thank our friends at the Milwaukee area Napa Auto Care Centers on the web at milwcar.com. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, of course, is Tony DeZeno from NBCSports.com. Tony, welcome back to the show. What's the latest happening? Yeah, so um, anyway, the the season moves on after Indianapolis. Seems as that always hard is to believe. Um, to the Milwaukee Detroit, Mile, the Rex Maze Classic. I love it. Nineteen sixty-seven called. Um, <laughs> no. Anyway, they're not uh, coming to Milwaukee. Sad, well, not sadly. We're in Detroit, oh. so the, uh, oh. the the annual Roger Penske doubleheader uh, benefit concert. No, I I don't know. It's uh I like Detroit. I actually like the event. It's just such a brutal drain on the crews and everyone that does this, this two doubleheader thing. I double think it, double your pleasure. Double your pleasure. It's crazy, right? With double points at Indy and then double races at Detroit, you get so many points within a two week period. It's kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, so that's going on it's June. So there's also Le Mans to look forward to. Canadian GPs next week. So. Um, yeah, basically we move on from Indy Palooza to rest of the season and the championships start framing up. So and we'll have all the coverage for, as we go. Should be a lot of fun. And then uh, let's see, last week, I think, or I should say last year, the Detroit Grand Prix was uh, won by Sebastian Bourdais and Will Power. And uh, this... Well, at least one of those two can repeat. One of the side effects of Bourdais being out is he, he's won this race the last two years, at least one of the two races, and uh, doesn't get the chance to defend. So there's these are always kind of two wacky races where at least one of them is really weird, where somebody wins off sequence or it rains or someone dominates. Or it's just not really a rhythm to it. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, a lottery weekend, but it's an important one to get through. And you know, the big challenge at Detroit is always what happens to the Indy 500 winner because, you know, they run ragged through the week of media. They go to New York. They go to Texas. By the time they get to Detroit, they're like, oh, just get me in the car already. So 
And the weird thing is, Sato's usually been pretty good at Detroit. So will that hold? I don't know. But he's now up to tie for second in the points. So suddenly a guy that you wouldn't have thought of as a title contender is actually in that framework. So he was that way a few years ago when he drove for Foyt, won Long Beach. He was like, I think actually leading the points. In 2013, yeah. 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 So. Hey, uh, anyway. one thing I wanted to bring up, I uh, forgot to, because we were getting a little short on time. Uh, Gabby Chavez. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, we should give a shout out for him, especially since we kind of blew him off by accident uh, last week or two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, where we were, we were, he was calling into the studio and we could not hook him up to the board for some reason. So, uh, and I, t- I, <laughs> it was kind of frustrating that way, but anyways, I, I gotta give him a shout out. He was running. He, he's one of these guys, and it's it's one of the things with with the what's cool at the five hundred is there's always that one guy who's the steady Eddie. Pardon the pun mm. with uh, not saying it about Eddie Ed Jones, but Gabby was that guy who who just kept moving up, kept moving up the leaderboard, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. You're thinking, well, okay, Munoz is running ninth, Chavez is tenth. And then you're like, whoa, wait a second, he got him. So I, I totally missed it. I mean, did did he get him in the last couple of laps there? Or? Must have been late. I, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I think we were all fixated on the right. battle that, you know, it's hard to, to track those bottom top 10 guys. The 500 is always one where you look up at the results and he's like, he was ninth? Like, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's typical Gabby too, right? Because the guys, I felt bad for him last year because he went from being super impressive as a rookie in 15 single budget or single car team low budget to getting his ride lost rossi then wins the indy 500 in that car um you know and now he's got a you know nothing you know his partial season deal with dale coin so yeah he just drove a really consistent clean race all month the harding racing team is going to run two more races this year and it's really cool because gabby's just such a good kid and i think people probably if people have very short memories in the sport so it, it was good to give sorry good that gabby gave a reminder of what he is capable of particularly with a team that had never you know had a live race or had pit stops as a collective unit mm-hmm. certainly was and uh yeah i wanted to make sure that we mentioned him he did it he did a pretty a plus job uh considering all uh, the thrashing i had to get that program going and we look forward to seeing him hopefully it'll be uh Texas and Pocono. So any, any final thoughts on Indy? Do you got any tidbits of information you want to? Um, just briefly on um, there's, there's no, there's no fast way to condense all the, the thoughts when you're running up against time, but thank goodness the the injuries weren't worse. Thank goodness Bordet and the wall and the mm-hmm. safer wall Hans device, the whole Matro safety team, all the things that made Bordet, you know, start his road to recovery and Dixon not be hurt from a vicious looking crash. Those are awesome. Penske weird month. I don't really know what to make of a month where they didn't seem ultra competitive. It was strange. Uh, a couple other guys. I mean, tough to see some of the Andretti guys fall out. Hunter Ray. Well, I don't know what he has to do to buy a break. He's had two 500s. He could have won a race through no fault of his own. And, uh, yeah, uh, a couple other teams debuted. Junkos got both their cars home to the finish. Michael Shanks' team, a little less fortunate. They got taken out by debris. 
uh, no fault of their own either. So always plenty of good stories in the field of 33. We didn't even touch on Alonzo really outside of the, the rookie of the year thing. He did he did what he needed to do, but it was over a kill at the end of the day. So exciting. We move on, and uh, man, it was a tense but fun 500 this year. Give me give me your most unusual moment of the month. From just you, media, anything, you're at a party and you're talking okay, to somebody. Okay, the most surreal moment by far was on media day. It's unreal. Take your superlative, right? So I'm talking to Sebastian Saavedra, who's driving for Yunkos, and Seb is sat next to Alonzo. And there is the perfect contrast of the month encapsulated in a 30-second video where it's me as the only person talking to a dude who's with a team that's making his debut. Meanwhile, there's 100 people five, six rows deep crowded around Alonzo, more dictaphones in that five, you know, five foot radius than there's anywhere else in that room. So I was like, if you need a visual represent representation of overkill, this is it. So, um, and, and there's video of it. NASCAR chasm that the famous satirist even set that to like the sad Sarah McLaughlin song that you see on infomercials <laughs> at two in the morning. So just with the, the, the contrast of Seb looking so sad while, everyone is around Alonzo. So that, that to me was, was the 517 comprised in, in one visual element. I have to admit, uh, I had the same situation with Spencer Piggott, who was a friend of the show and, and, and he was sitting there alone. I said, I, I walked over by him. I said, Spencer, come on, let's have a fun chat. I said, you know, let's, let's have some fun here. So we did, he did a, we had a, had a fun interview with him, but I, I stuck my, I stuck my microphone in the <laughs> in the Alonzo crowd, just to get a, just a just to get a little sound bite, and of course he was talking in Spanish at the time. So, I, of course, I had to play it last week on the show. So, there you go, uh, Tony. Appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, chatting with you in the near future as your schedule provides, because you are a man on the go. So, appreciate it. You all spending time with us, and make sure to check out his stuff at NBCSports.com. All the good stuff on the motors section at the tab at the top of the web page. Tony, thank you, sir. Cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as always. And you're listening to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Make sure to get out there this weekend. And also like to thank our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Centers on the web at MILWCAR.com. Coming up next. Fast Eddie Lapine from Racing Nation will break down the Monaco Grand Prix in just a moment on The Fan. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.